Okay, so those of you that that's um, visiting, you probably won't know, but my wife and I just came back recently from a trip to um, to Israel. We went there on a on a tour with Bennett and Elmi. They were there with us, and uh, we just had such an amazing time. Uh, we were together. We were about 19 people um, with a, this big bus. And um, it was extremely hot, but luckily the bus had um, aircon. And uh, we were just like this bunch of hungry people that just wants to um, encounter Jesus. That's what's, that's, we, were, we had such a unity in our group because we were all focused on, listen, yeah, we're here for one thing, and that is for Jesus. And we had just such an amazing time. And I can, I can keep you busy for a long time just telling you about like some of the the encounters that we had um i was in the north on the mount of transfiguration but at the bottom of the mount of transfiguration in the the north of israel and it's where jesus asked his disciples in the midst of a bunch of pagan temples he asked them who do you say i am he obviously he first asked them, who do the people say they am? And they were like, yeah, you're the prophet, or you're this, or Elijah. And he said, but who do you say I am? And, um, and Peter said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And then Jesus said to him something interesting. He said to him, flesh and blood didn't reveal this to you, but my Father in heaven. And that's always just my prayer when we come together like this, is that as sons and daughters, we're here with our daddy, and our daddy is revealing to us. <laughs> As we sit here, we're not just sitting like passively in church. Um, we're actu actually, the father is engaging with us, <laughs> and he's revealing to us what's on his heart. He's showing us new things, and that's, that's what, I, what I prayed. It's like, Daddy, we want to know what's on your heart. You know? like, I, don't, I don't care what's on Stoffel's heart. I, I care what's on Daddy's heart. You know? um, and it was just such an amazing... And I went there, and I went on my knees, and I just said, Jesus, I proclaimed it there. Like, I just said, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And I just broke down crying. I was just like, I was just crying and crying and crying. And luckily when I looked up, everybody else that was there just left. Everybody went back to the buses. And I had this, this private, intimate moment with Jesus there on the mount, at the bottom of the Mount of Transfiguration. And, um, and he, didn't, he didn't give me a profound revelation. He just kept on saying, Stoffel, I love you. I love you, I love you. And I just, I was just crying and crying and crying. And eventually I was like, Lord, I have to stop because I have to go back to the bus. Um, <laughs> I would love to just be here and cry for the rest of the day. You know, like, it's just like, it's those, it's, I mean, I think we all know it. Like, it's, it's those good cries, you know. It's not like a sad cry. It's like, it's a love cry. Um, so eventually I got up back onto my feet and luckily I had sunglasses there, so I just put on my sunglasses and I climbed back on the bus. Uh, but my eyes were like red of, um, of crying. And that was only the second day that we were there. Um, so that was my start of, of my time there with, with Jesus. I think I shared with some of you before, but 
we went and we baptized Linda and myself, my wife Linda. We had the privilege of baptizing basically the entire group in the Jordan River where Jesus got baptized. But what was interesting is, I never knew this, but the, that place in the Jordan River where Jesus got baptized in, is the same place where the Israelites came into the promised land for the first time. We all know where the priests carried the ark and as their foot just touched the Jordan River, the river opened and they came into the promised land. It's the same place where Jesus got baptized. It's also the same place where Elijah gave over his mantle to Elisha. It was just on the other side. Because we know when the chariot of fire came and it took away Elijah and then his mantle stayed behind. Like his mantle fell off this chariot of fire. I don't know, like when, because we've grew up with Christianity, most of us, we hear these stories and we become almost like numb to it, you know. But just think about this, like just think about how freaky this is. Like, I mean, if you, I don't know how people get stuck in religion if you read the Bible. Because if you read the Bible and you re- read these stories, like a, a chariot of fire coming out of heaven, flying like these horses, and a flying chariot flying out of heaven, you know, like, it's like a Star Wars movie, you know, like, it's like this thing is flying, and it comes, and it just sweeps away Elijah, and then Elisha is like, my father, my father, <laughs> the chariots of heaven, you know, and, and then this mantle fl- flies down, and Elisha picks up this mantle, and he, and he says, if, if the God of Elijah is with me, the river will pass. So he, he falls off this mantle and he, and he hits the Jordan River and the river parts and Elijah walks through on dry ground. I mean, that's crazy. You know? That's like crazy stuff. But it's the, still, it's the same God that we serve today. You know? and, and Paul says, the glory that there was in the old covenant in the new covenant that we live in is way much better, way much more glory. You know, like the, the glory of the old covenant was like this, and the glory of the new covenant is like, you know, like I don't have long enough arms to show you. But it's, <laughs> it's just, it's extremely, extremely glorious. So if they experience things like that in the old covenant, what have you tapped into? That you're not even aware of. <laughs> what have you tapped into that you're not even aware of? So we were there in that place, and Linda and myself were, pro- were baptizing people, and it was just there was such a presence of the Lord that every single person, as they came into the water, were crying. And Linda were prophesying over them, and they got baptized, and they left the water crying. And the people on the walls were crying. It was just like, it was, there was such an amazing, amazing presence of the Holy Spirit there. And then what was so, like, just to top it off, is as we, we were finished and we, we went back onto the, onto the side and we all got together and we actually had, it was Linda's birthday that day and we had a cake. So we were all celebrating like our old man that died and our new man that got raised from the dead. And um, the next moment there was a, a pure white, 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 white dove that came and sat right next to us on the, on the ground. And I was just like, wow, Lord. <laughs> it's like 
what we've just experienced, we just saw in the natural as well, like this dove coming down. We all know what happened when Jesus got baptized. This was the Holy Spirit descended on him in the form of a dove. And um, the, the, the culmination almost of, of everything was when we went to the upper room. And um, my mom, who's a, a Dutch Reformed Dominican wife all her life, that's been in ministry um, all her love, life, that loves the Lord, I, I said to her, like before we went, I said to her mom, I'm going to baptize you in the Holy Spirit when we get to the upper room the next day. And she was like, yes, <laughs> let's do it. I'm excited. So we, um, so we went to the upper room, but the upper room was full of people. And the next moment, Linda just said to the whole group, listen, yeah, Stoffel is going to baptize his mom in the Holy Spirit in that corner. And as she showed to the corner, the group that was in that corner just left. <laughs> But she didn't, they didn't hear what she said. It was just like, just, it was just perfect timing. And um, they just left and we went there. And the next moment, the entire group went and stand there. And everybody got baptized in the Holy Spirit and started speaking in tongues in the upper room. The other groups that was there was like, what, what, what language are these people speaking, you know? Um, and we just, yeah, we just had such an amazing, there was a, a, a um, an old farmer, a potato farmer from Paketburg. And he basically got saved on this tour. And he got baptized, obviously, in that river. And he was just crying like a baby um, when he got baptized in, in the Jordan River. And it was just such an amazing thing to see this old farmer that um, didn't really know the Lord praying on the top of his lungs in tongues in the upper room it was just such an amazing and he's crying as he's praying in tongues there in the in the upper room and Bernard was actually part there just praying for him so yeah I can um, I can keep you busy with with many stories but what I want to what I wanted to share with with you guys was we went to the to the western wall so I don't know if you know where the Western Wall is, but the Western Wall is basically the, the smallest part that they still have left of the old temple. Like some of the, the, the bottom stones that's there, you know, was part of the temple wall. It's not even a temple, just a temple wall. So that's all that they have left. So the Jews go there. It's a big wall, so they've rebuilt it. And it's like this massive big wall, and they go and pray there. And... I went there and my heart just broke while I was standing there because I was like this God that they are looking for and this God that they are praying for um, is standing right in front of them <laughs> you know like it's just like the, the when they pray, I don't know why they do, do that. I, was, I still wanted to ask someone. But when they, they, they touch the wall and then they do this, they pray. But they do this all the time. And they, but they, they, they're crying out to God and they're looking for God. And, um, and I just was like, but Jesus is here. You know, like Jesus is standing right in front of you. But you're crying out and looking for, for someone that's standing right in front of you. And it was just so, so sad to me to experience that, you know. That Jesus was just standing there. And the Lord, when I, 
There's so much that I want to share. But after this, the Lord took me to Isaiah 1. And we all know Isaiah 1 is where Isaiah sees he's in heaven. Okay? Again, it's like this crazy vision that he sees in heaven with the smoke that's going out. And he sees the glory of the Lord. And he sees the angels. And he says, and the train of his robe filled the temple. And he sees this, this picture, and then obviously the Lord says, Who will go for me and who I will send? But then, right after that vision, is where Isaiah gives that prophecy that hearing they will hear and seeing they will see, but they will not understand. Okay? And then Jesus quotes that scripture, and he says, these, this generation in Jesus' time, he says, they won't, they won't see and they won't hear. Because Isaiah prophesied it many years ago while he was seeing his glory. Talking about, so this, it's the writer of John, and he says, while he was seeing his glory. Talking about Jesus. So I don't know whom of you knew that, but that vision that Isaiah saw of heaven... And God sitting on His throne. Many of us think that's the Father. But it's actually not the Father. If you go and read that, it's actually Jesus. So Isaiah saw the glory of Jesus already in the Old Covenant. He saw Jesus sitting on His throne. And the train of His robe filled the temple. And he prophesied and he says, Who will believe our report? And he says, no, they won't believe. Okay? And he prophesies this while he's seeing the glory of, of Jesus. So what I'm trying to say is that same God that the Israelites were worshipping was Jesus. <laughs> okay? Many of us, like I say, think for some reason, we think like it's actually the Father. Now obviously the Father was also there and they were worshipping the Father. But it was actually Jesus but obviously he wasn't named Jesus back then. So that's why John says in John 1, and he says that their own, he came to his own, but his own didn't recognize him. So what John meant there is that they knew Jesus in a certain way. You know, they, they were worshiping Jesus in the temple. <laughs> you know, they were worshiping Jesus in the holies of holies. And he came to them, he came to his own, but they didn't recognize him. He was standing right in front of them, the person that they were worshipping for hundreds and hundreds of years in the, in the holies of holies, in the temple, was standing right in front of them and they didn't recognize him. And it's still like that today. <laughs> and it's just like... I was just standing there and I was like, Lord, these people are worshipping and praying for you, but you're standing right in front of them and they don't even know it, that it's you. But so often, it's the same with us. You know, like, we're praying and we're worshipping, but we don't understand that Jesus is standing right in front of us. But the, the last part of our trip, we obviously went to, to this the garden, the garden tomb where Jesus was crucified and where he was buried and where he was raised from the dead. Now, 
I don't know whom of you have been to Israel before, but there's just something, there's just something about physically being in the place where Jesus was crucified and where he was buried and where he rose from the dead. It just like, it makes it almost like so real to you. But what happened to me while I was there like that day was Jesus just broke my heart for the nations. <laughs> and he just said like, Stoffel, I went through this for everybody, like for all of the nations. And the reason why my heart broke was because, I don't know whom of you knew this, but Israel, the Jewish people of Israel, only 1% of them are Christians. Less than 1% of them are actually Christians. So they're living in this land where Jesus walked, where Jesus was crucified, buried, and raised from the dead, but yet they don't believe it. And you, you can see it. You can see it in their faces. Like, they look so sad. <laughs> like, they look so like, yeah, it's, there's no better way to really put it than to say, like, they feel that you can see they're lost. You can see they look so sad. Um, you can see that they, they really, they've got a hunger for God, but yet they don't understand that this God that they're looking for is right there with them. And it's so interesting to see how, what happens when people get stuck in the old covenant and they don't move on to the new covenant of what Jesus has done, you know, of what, of what, of what Jesus brought us into. And, and I just realized, like, We, we are so fortunate that we have this book. We are so fortunate that we grew up in a country that believes in the gospel. That we grew up as children being taught the gospel. Like, I mean, we take it so easily for granted. You know, like, we grew up, like I grew up in a Dutch Reformed church. And you know, like when I just got, when I radically got saved, I know that I judged it. You know, like I was just like, yes, but they never told me this and they never told me this and they never like, you know, like, but then the Lord came and he spoke to me and he said to me like, no, 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 you're missing the whole point. Like that was your foundation. Um, and you never throw away your foundation. <laughs> you only, you build upon it, you know, yes. The foundation doesn't have everything, but no foundation has everything. You build upon it. And I realized how fortunate I was to be taught the gospel as a young kid, even though I didn't understand it, you know, even though it didn't make sense to me, even though I lived like I was like completely lost. I mean, some of you know my stories, but like I, I lived like I was living in hell, you know, like <laughs> I tried to do everything wrong that I could do wrong. Um, but yet I had this foundation of the gospel that my parents laid in my life. And when the right time came, Jesus could save me because I had that. You know, like I knew the gospel. And living in that country, you, you realize like these people don't, they don't have that. You know, like they don't, they're not taught about Jesus. They're not taught about the new covenant. Um, they just grew up in the old, in the old covenant and they, they stuck there. 
you know and it was just so so sad for me to to see that but like i said it just made me thankful again for what we have you know like we've got bibles lying around in hotels you know like we've got the new testament if you go into a hotel you open a drawer there's a gideon gideon bible of the new testament lying around like we are so blessed and fortunate that we've got the gospel and we've got the access to it you know and um, most people around us actually believe that it's I was just like, wow, that's amazing. You know, like, that's really, really amazing. So often we judge that and we're like, yeah, these people are religious and what, 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 but at least they believe in Jesus, you know. <laughs> and um, that makes all the difference, is believing in Jesus. That's what it's about. So what I want to, <laughs> what I want to share with, with us is just a little bit of that, of what the Lord just rekindled in my heart while I was being there and while I was just sitting in the garden the garden and and being at that tomb and just knowing okay Jesus this is where you died and you rose again so I want to I want to read to us out of Romans 6 don't know whom of you know Romans 6 um, but it's just such a powerful such a powerful passage of, of scripture and um, many people believe that Romans 6 are really the crux of the gospel. Romans 6 is really where Paul like, makes it like, clear. You know? So in Romans 5, Paul is just talking and he says, Where sin abounds, grace abounds much more. Okay? So that grace abounds much more is actually the words like superabundance. There's a superabundance of grace, you know. There's like a never-ending river of grace that's flowing you know, from Jesus. And the amazing thing is it's flowing from all of us as well. Because Jesus said that that same river is going to flow out of your belly. <laughs> okay, so you're, you're, you're actually a source of grace to the people around you. But... So he ends off with this hyper-grace is actually the other word, like hyper-grace or radical grace. And then he starts in chapter 6. And now I'm reading out of the Passion, Passion Translation um, just because it, it just elaborates on it very, very nicely. So I'm reading from verse 1. It says, So what do we do then? Do we persist in sin so that God's kindness and grace will increase? What a terrible thought. We have died to sin once and for all, as a dead man passes away from this life. So how could we live under sin's rule a moment longer? Or have you forgotten that all of us who were immersed into union with Jesus, the Anointed One, were immersed into union with His death? Now that word immersed is actually the word Baptismo or baptism. So your translation probably says, don't you know that those who've been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into the union of his death? Verse 4 says, Sharing in his death by our baptism means that we were co-buried and entombed with him so that when the Father's glory raised Christ from the dead, we were also raised with him. We have been co-buried resurrected with him so that we could be empowered to walk 
in the fullness of new life. Okay, I'm going to go further just now, but I just want to just quickly elaborate on this. So, Paul is saying, so should we carry on sinning? And obviously the answer is no, by all means, that just doesn't make sense. But why? Why doesn't make make sense? It's because Paul says that you were buried, you died with Christ, you were co-crucified with Christ 2,000 years ago. You were buried with Him through through baptism, and then you were also co-raised with Him in newness of life. And you were united with Jesus when that happened. So when did that happen? So in the spirit, it happened 2,000 years ago. But on a personal level, it happens the moment that you believe in Jesus. Okay? So that's why I started with that story where in the, in the early church days, they made confession. Okay? In the new church, the days that we live, we bring people to the front and we say, pray a prayer. In the early church days, they didn't pray a prayer. They made confession. Okay? And what did they confess? They confessed the confession that Peter confessed. is that, Jesus, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. That was the great confession. In Hebrews, it actually says that Jesus made that same confession in front of, of Pilate. So Jesus actually, before his crucifixion, he made a confession that he is the Son of God. And then he got crucified. But why did he do it? As an example for all of us. And in the early church times, when someone heard the gospel, they made confession. And that's why Hebrews says, hold on to your confession. <laughs> so, when it does take place, Hebrews 6, uh, Romans 6, in your life, is the moment when you believe. But Romans 10 says that... So you get salvation through believing in your heart and confessing with your mouth. So the moment when you believe in your heart and you confess with your mouth, a lot of us don't really understand what actually happened then. <laughs> but what actually happened then is you were crucified with Jesus. And you were buried with Him. And you got raised from the dead. In a moment like that. And the whole Romans, I think it's like I think it's like thirty times in the book of Romans, Paul is writing to the Romans and he's saying to them, You're dead. You're dead, 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 you're dead. I think that was probably only nine times. So he's just saying to the Romans over and over and over that you are dead. I remember when I was a young Christian, I was very much on the whole thing of, Lord, I must just die to myself. You know, like all these problems that I have, all these things, all these issues that I'm struggling with, the sin that I'm struggling with. Like you hear these preachers and they say, just die to yourself. But then one day, Jesus came and he said to me, Stoffel, you can't die to yourself because you're already dead. <laughs> you're trying to do something that I've already done 2,000 years ago. 
I killed you 2,000 years ago. You died with me on that cross. You died with me on that cross and you were buried. Your old man was buried. And then, but I mean, that already is amazing, but not just that. Then you were raised in newness of life. But not, you were raised, like I've often preached about the scripture, but John 4 says, as he is, 1 John 4 says, as he is, so are you in this world. The resurrected Christ. You were raised in the likeness of his resurrection. <laughs> you were raised in the likeness of the resurrected Christ. Okay? That's your identity today, is the resurrected Christ. That is, you were unified in the resurrection with the resurrected Christ. Okay? So, what I feel that the Lord wants to just remind all of us here this morning again is that your past is done away with. <laughs> your past is done away with. You were, you were crucified with Christ and your past is done away with. He's dealt with it 2,000 years ago. He's dealt with it. And it's not just talking about your past from the day that you got saved. It's talking about since yesterday. <laughs> you know? What happened yesterday, it's dealt with. It's under the cross. Okay? It's been, it's been crucified. So your past has been done away with. Now, I know some of you have maybe heard this before, that this whole thing of like, okay, not just... When you were crucified with Christ, were your parts done away with? The Bible also says that you were born out of the Father. You were born again, and you were born out of the Father, out of incor incorruptible seed. Okay, So the seed of the Father is your nature. <laughs> okay, So the incorruptible seed of the Father, you've been born out of the Father. Okay? So you've been born again. So what does that also mean? It also means that your past is done away with. Okay? So you've got a new DNA, you've got a new nature, you've got everything like you're born out of the bloodline of your father. Okay? So that's like, I mean, that's liberating. When you understand that, when you, when you start to realize that your old person has been crucified with Jesus and it's killed and it's done away with. You've been raised with him with resurrection life and your identity is the resurrected Jesus. And not just the resurrected Jesus, your identity is now a son of God because you've got the DNA, the blood, the bloodline of your father. You've received a brand new bloodline. So why do I feel it's important for us to hear this again? It's because I feel like the Lord is saying to you that your past has no right to come and steal from your present. Your past has no right to come and steal from your present. It has no right. But yet, the reality is that sometimes it does. Okay. The reality is that sometimes our past wants to come and haunt us. <laughs> you know? 
Sometimes our past wants to come and steal from our future. But the important thing is to know that it has no right. And sometimes that is enough. For many people, you know, like the moment when you believe that. So what I often say is, how does, how does Christianity work? The new covenant Christianity, how does it work? Is to Peter, to Peter 1 says that we've received everything pertaining to life and, and godliness. How? Through the precious promises that God has made us. So the new covenant is God is the He's the one making the promises. <laughs> okay? God is the promise maker and the promise keeper. What is our part? Our part is just to believe it like a little kid. <laughs> like a little child to believe it. Now, you actually don't even need to renew your mind about it. It's just when, we're, when we've got years of religion then we need to renew our minds. But the natural way that God created this is that you will believe it like a little kid just like that. That is how we... That is the natural way. You know, if you, if you take someone that comes out of, you know, like, no religion background, no religious background at all, when they, when they hear the gospel, they believe it like a child, just like that. And it's like, okay, if God said it, that settles it. It's finished. Okay? That's actually how the Lord created it. So, here is an example of a promise. Okay? So here, in Romans 6, sorry, in Romans 6, the Lord is giving us a promise and says, your past has no right to come and steal from your present. It's a promise. So, the easy thing to do is just to say, okay, thank you, Lord. I believe it. That settles it. Yay, let's rejoice and celebrate and go on. <laughs> okay? But I know that often that is not the case for some of us. You know, for some of it's, maybe it's sometimes a process. And that's why we have ministries like Sozo. So what Sozo ministry is, is Sozo means... Saved, healed, delivered, set free. It's actually the word salvation in, in the Greek. So that's why we have Sozo ministry is we go and we deal with that. You know, if you've got something from your past that's still stealing from you, that's still haunting you, that you're still struggling with, we go and do Sozo ministry and we deal with it. You know, like we just, we get rid of it. We rebuke it. Because <laughs> why? The whole premise of Sozo ministry is based on salvation. What is salvation? The fact that you died with Christ and you rose from the dead. So the whole premise of social ministry is the fact that it has no right to come and steal from you. So then we just come and we deal with that. And it's the same. This is where a lot of Christians miss it. You know, like a lot of Christians are on, either on the extreme of, you know, like, no, 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 we, we, we must focus on our past and we must deal with our past. And like, I mean, and the devil has a hold and wada, wada, wada. And they, they get stuck almost in, in this area. Then you get the other extremes of, no, no, no. Your old man is dead. You're born out of God. You've got a new lineage. All of that is just a bunch of junk. Just, just ignore it. So you get these two extremes, but both of them are actually extremes. So I'm going to explain to you it in a, 
I know I'm very, I'm, I'm, I'm saying a lot. You must stay with me. But I'm going to explain to you through an example. It's the same with physical healing. So 2,000 years ago, Jesus got beaten. Okay? He got flogged. And the Bible says, by his stripes you were healed. By his stripes you were healed 2,000 years ago. So it's settled. <laughs> Jesus healed every single sickness 2,000 years ago through his stripes. It's settled. So the extreme on this side would then say, okay, so Jesus healed it 2,000 years ago, so the sickness that you're experiencing is a lie. Now, in a sense, that's right, but, but you're experiencing it. It's a reality in your life, like you're sick, you know, like you're, you're struggling. Okay, so for you, it's a reality. Okay? The, the other side and this side then would just be like, okay, we must now try and find solutions for the sickness and they start to focus on the devil and they start to focus on sickness and they start to focus on the problem and they make the problem bigger than the solution <laughs> okay but where the lord actually wants us is here i don't want to say balance but truth because the truth is yes he did it you know he healed every single sick person but we need to enforce it <laughs> and that's why we pray for the sick Okay, so sickness is a reality still today. And that's why we pray for the sick and we rebuke that sickness because the sickness has no right because Jesus broke its right 2,000 years ago. But we activate our faith and we believe it. So, so many people actually get healed just when, they, just when they realize, okay, but Jesus actually paid for it 2,000 years ago. He healed me 2,000 years. It's, as soon as you really, be, if you believe that, like a little kid. It's not difficult. It's not work. It's not like, okay, I must now believe this. I must believe this. I must believe this. A, a kid doesn't do that. <laughs> you know? I often say this to you guys. Is when I come to my little boy and I say to him, Daddy is going to buy you a chocolate. Then he's like, Mommy, Daddy is going to buy me a chocolate. He believes it. There's no doubt. You know, like, he's just like, he doesn't go to his mom and he says, Mommy, help me to believe my daddy. Help me to believe my daddy. Okay? Then it shows that there's something not right. There's the connection between me and my boy isn't right. You know, there's, there's some disappointment that came in that he needs to get healed of. Okay? So that's often where we find ourselves. Is we're in such a place of disappointment. Such a place of, we're like, just... I'm, I'm really struggling to trust the Lord. And that's okay. You know, like, that's okay. We all, we all get into that place sometime. But He's the only one that can come and heal us. So we come back to a place of childlike faith. <laughs> where it's easy. Where it's instant. Where it's like, as soon as you hear, okay, I'm healed. I'm healed. That settles. this. And so many people are getting healed just through that. No one is praying for them. No one is, you know, like, they just hear the word. They believe it. And their bodies get supernaturally healed through it. Okay? Through believing the truth. Okay? So that's, that's the easy way. But sometimes, you know, Jesus said some of these only comes out through prayer and fasting. You know? So sometimes we put on a battle. Sometimes we fight. Sometimes we, we fight this thing. And um, 
until we get the victory. So that's physical sickness, but it's the same with emotional hurts. Okay? It's the same with emotional hurts. It's the same with your past. It's stuff happened in your past that affected you. And yes, it has no right because Jesus said, <laughs> He said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Okay? For what? To preach the good news to the poor. But then He goes on and He says, And to bind up the brokenhearted. So part of what Jesus did when going through the cross is he went through what? He went through rejection. All his disciples rejected him. All his spiritual leaders rejected him. He went through mocking. Okay? All the, all the Roman soldiers mocked him. So he went through emotional pain and hurt. Why? So that he can bind up your broken heart. <laughs> Okay? So that he can bind up your broken heart. He is the one that has the balm of Gilead. And he comes and puts that balm on your broken heart. And he heals you. Okay? But again, the reality is, he's done that 2,000 years ago. So you get some people that get the revelation of that. And they're like, wow, the Lord has healed me emotionally also 2,000 years ago. All these emotional things that I'm struggling with. The, the pain, the hurt, whatever, you know, like... That has died with Christ 2,000 years ago. <laughs> and I'm now raised with a brand new set of emotions with Christ. Okay? From the dead. So that's the reality. That's the truth. But if you still struggle, then you just deal with it. You know, like then, then you rebuke it because it's not from the Lord. That is the big thing that the Lord is wanting to say to you. Is... The stuff from your past, the hurt from your past, the pain, all those things is not from Him. He wasn't the one that hurt you. He wasn't the one that allowed it. You know, all those lies. It was literally the enemy that came to kill, steal, and destroy in your life. But the good news is that He's dealt with it 2,000 years ago. And you can step into that truth like a little kid. <laughs> You can just step into it and just say, Okay, Lord, I'm going to believe it. And if you're struggling to believe it, that's also okay. He's so gracious, you know, like, he's just like, he's just so good. It's, he's never like, Okay, you've tried. Well, sorry, that wasn't good enough. <laughs> he's always going to meet you where you're at. It's that guy that he's, he's, um, his son is sick. You know, and, he, and, and the devil is throwing him into the fire. And Jesus says to him, like, if you believe, nothing will be impossible. Jesus says to him, only believe. And he says, Lord, I don't believe. <laughs> That's basically what he said to Jesus. Like, I, I'm just honest, you know, like, I don't believe, but help my unbelief. <laughs> and Jesus comes and he heals his boy. He met him at his place where he's at. He says like, Lord, I don't have faith. I, I can't believe. And Jesus says, don't worry. I've got faith. <laughs> like, I've got faith on your behalf. And he comes and he heals his little boy. And that's where so many of us, like, we try to be so strong. You know, like, we try to be this grown-up Christians. And we're strong and like, we can do this and I know all the answers. But actually, True Christianity is becoming a child and saying, Lord, 
help me. <laughs> help me to just believe your promises and make it real in my life because I can't even do that. <laughs> um, so that's the, the glorious good news. So what is baptism? Baptism in water. Like I said, the moment when you believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God, that He, you believe in His death, burial, and resurrection, the moment when you believe that, it happens to you without you knowing it. <laughs> That's just the good news, you know, like, there's nothing you can do. It happens to you. So, what is baptism? Baptism in water is just an outward declaration of what already has happened inside of you. Okay? Now what often happens is sometimes the fullness of that takes place when you get baptized. So that's why when we baptize people, we, we let them confess. We say, my confession that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. And as soon as they confess that and they go, so what is baptism? Baptism is a prophetic act of you dying with Christ, going under the water, so you died and you were buried with Him. And then coming out of the water is a prophetic act of resurrection. And being raised with Christ in the newness of life. Okay, so that's why baptism is so powerful. Because it's an, like I said, it's an outward declaration. So if you read the Bible, declaration is important. Confession is important. Jesus died in the public, <laughs> you know. So it's an outward public confession and declaration that I have been crucified with Christ and that I have been raised with Him. And that's why baptism in water is so powerful. Now, I don't want to do a teaching on baptism in water. Um, <laughs> if you want to know more about it, you can. But um, I've spoken many times with my dad, who's a Dutch Reformed Duomini, um, about it, and we've had some. We have we've had a little little bit of arguments about it, but not not too much. Um, so it's something that that I'm passionate about, and I've you know, you know, I've really trusted the Lord for an amazing revelation about it. So if you want to know more about it, you can come and speak to me um, afterwards or wherever. But I want to go on from verse five, and it says. For since we are permanently grafted into Him to experience a, a death like this. So it's such a beautiful word that the Passion Translation is using. He says, since we are being grafted into Him. So it's, it's like being grafted into a tree. It says like the Gentiles was grafted into the olive tree. So since we've been grafted into Jesus, who is the tree, and we are the branches, you know, like he's the vine, we're the branches. So, so we are grafted in through this. So says, since, we, since we are permanently grafted into him to experience a death like this, then we are permanently grafted into him to experience a resurrection like his and a new life that it imparts. So again, like... This life, the very life of Jesus, the Zoe life of Jesus, is imparted to you through the resurrection. <laughs> the very nature of Jesus is imparted to you through the resurrection. 
Verse 6 says, Could it be any clearer that our former identity is now and forever deprived of its power? So there it is. Your former identity, your past, is deprived of its power. It's taken away. It's got no more power. It's got no more right. For we were co-crucified with him to dismantle the stronghold of sin within us, so that we would not continue to live one moment longer submitted to sin's power. Obviously, a dead person is incapable of sinning. And if we were co-crucified with the anointed one, we know that we will also share in the fullness of his life. And we know that since the anointed one has been raised from the dead to die no more, his resurrection life has vanquished death and its power over him is finished. For by his sacrifice he died to sin's power once and for all, but he now lives continuously for the Father's pleasure. Okay, so what Paul is obviously just saying here over and over and over is that Jesus, through dying on the cross, destroyed sin. So the word sin here, and most times when Paul is using the word sin in Romans, He's using the word sin 15 times. 14 of those 15 times, he's talking of, the, of, of a noun. The other time, it's a verb. So most of the time when Paul is talking about sin here, he's talking about the entity of sin, the noun of sin, but actually, he's talking about the spirit. So sin is actually a spirit. And before we were saved, we were subject to the spirit. We were slaves of the spirit of sin. So God said to Cain that sin is waiting at your door. I don't know if some of you remember that scripture, but he, says, he said to Cain, Cain, sin is waiting at your door. That's before he murdered his brother. He said, sin is waiting at your door. And if you do good, you'll be able to stay away from it. So even then, in in Genesis, in Genesis already, God showed us that sin is actually an entity. <laughs> you know? Sin is a spirit. And it's waiting at your door. You know? Almost like, so before you got saved, Paul says that we were darkened by the ruler of this world. Okay? That we were deceived by him. And we were actually slaves of the spirit of sin. So you couldn't help yourself to sin. You were trying your best. But you couldn't help yourself to sin. So then Jesus comes, and through his death and resurrection, he sets us free from sin. He destroyed the power of sin. So now, what Paul is saying here is that you're not a slave of sin anymore. You're actually free from sin. And that is the good news. And he says, so instead of in the past where you were a slave of sin, now you are free of sin and now you can present yourself you can surrender to Jesus okay? you can surrender to what he's done so your sinful nature everything that was sinful of you in the past the spirit of sin the dominion that sin had over you all of that got crucified with Jesus 2000 years ago so I would always joke with Linda like anything that you struggle with so say you struggle, it's like, I'm, I'm really impatient. You know, like, I really struggle with being, being patient. And it's like, no, the reality is that 
in patience was crucified 2,000 years ago. He's like, but Stoffel, I'm, I'm really struggling with anger. <laughs> no, no, anger, your anger was crucified 2,000 years ago. You're like, like Stoffel, I really, I'm struggling with pride. I'm like a really prideful person. No, no, your pride was crucified 2,000 years ago. It's like Stoffel, but I struggle with addictions. That also was crucified 2,000 years ago. He's done that. He said, what, whatever you struggle, whatever sin that you struggle with, whatever thing that you struggle with, it's been crucified 2,000 years ago. It's been destroyed. The power of that thing has been destroyed. So how does it work? I just quickly want to explain this to you. So you've died 2,000 years ago. Sin was destroyed 2,000 years ago and it was buried. Your old man was destroyed 2,000 years ago. You've received the nature of your father, the DNA of your father, the seed of your father is living inside of you. You've received the identity of the resurrected Christ. Okay, So that's your identity. That's who you are. That's how powerful you are. But yet we know that even Adam in his perfect state was capable of sinning. Okay, so we're all, even though our old nature has been crucified, we all have the ability to still sin. And the only power that sin has or the devil has is to speak to you, is to lie to you. So while we're here, we're still subject to temptation. Okay, so how it works is you're free, that's, that's the reality, you're free from sin. But then, the spirit of sin, or the enemy, or the devil, or what you, whatever you want to call it, comes and gives you a thought. And it's like, go and do this. Or it gives you an image. And as soon as that happens, you're like, whoa, why am, why am I thinking this? You know, what, like, why am I seeing this? And then the lie that he, he, that he wants you to believe is he wants you to believe that that is you. Where it's actually him. Because that is what temptation is. Eh? So temptation is something that the devil brings, a thought or a picture or a desire or whatever. You know, like It's something that he brings, but it, the source is him. That's temptation. Okay. So as soon as that comes, he wants you to think that it's you. And you will think it's you if you don't understand your true nature. You will think it's you if you don't understand that you have been crucified and that, you've th that you're dead. And that the old sinful nature is dead. Okay. But if you understand that you're a new creation, <laughs> and if you understand that you've got a DNA of your papa inside of you, then you realize, but that's not me. Because it only becomes sin as soon as you respond to it. And as soon as you act on it. So that's where so many Christians, so what happens then? Quickly run with me. So these thoughts or these temptations come, as soon as you think, wow, 
why am I thinking this? Or why am I seeing this? Or whatever, you know, like, as soon as that happens, you've owned it. <laughs> and as soon as you own it, you feel shame. Now, shame is the killer. Because <laughs> as soon as you feel bad about yourself, and as soon as you feel shameful, what do you do? You separate yourself from God, like Adam. You are, God never separates himself from you. Okay, I just want you to, to know this. Not even when Adam sinned, did God separate himself from him. He came to look for him. Okay? So God never separates himself from you. He destroyed sin and the power of sin forever. Okay? So sin cannot come between you and God. It's shame. It's your own shame that causes you to separate yourself from God. Where God is actually looking for you and He's like, where are you? <laughs> so, as soon as you feel shameful, you separate yourself from God. You take your eyes off Him. And then, as soon as that happens, you feel alone. You feel bad about yourself. You feel shameful. And what is the fruit of that? It's more sin. So then you go into binge mode. So you're like, okay, I've, I've, I've sinned in any case. You know, so I might as well just carry on. So then you go. And eventually you feel so bad that you stop. And then you repent. Okay, so now you're like, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I've sinned. Um, please forgive me. I'm not going to do it again. So you repent and you repent and you're back with, with the Lord. Okay? And now everything, Paul's, the Bible says, times of refreshing comes because of repentance. So you've repented and times of refreshing has come again. And you're like, wow, Lord, like everything is good again. And like, yes, yes, yes. And the Lord has forgiven me and what, what, what. But then you get busy and temptation comes again. And we take it on again. And we get into the cycle. So many Christians live in this cycle that I've explained to you. But it's a demonic cycle. <laughs> okay? Because you're never free. You don't live in freedom when you're in this cycle. So you love the Lord, you're a good Christian, you're trying your best, but you're stuck in the cycle of then I'm good with the Lord, then I. I get tempted, I take it on for myself, I feel shameful, I feel bad about myself, then I might as well just carry on sinning, and then I'm like, okay, Lord, I can't go on like this because this, this, this is destroying my life, and then you repent and you get back to the Lord, and everything is good for a while, and, then, and people are just living like this. So I don't know if you know this, but you were not created to live like this. <laughs> You were created for freedom. <laughs> so Jesus said, if you still sin, if you still struggle with sin, you're a slave. And a slave doesn't stay in the house. Only a son stays in the house. So we want to get to that place where we realize our sonship, where we realize our identity, that Jesus became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. That's your identity. So we want to come to that place where we stay in the house. Let's say yay for staying in the house. Yay! 
where we stay in our Father's house. We're continually in our Father's house. We're continually in His presence. We're continually staying there and we're growing up. Okay? And to mature sons and daughters because we're staying in the house. And that is where you were created to live. Okay? It's in that. I don't know. I mean, it's difficult for me to gauge where everybody is at, but I know there's some people that think that you can't live free from sin. But that's an absolute lie. <laughs> it's not just that you can't live free from sin. You are free from sin. He's already done it. You are free from sin. That is the truth. That is what Romans 6 is all about. Is that you are free from sin. You are free from addictions. You're free from sin. You're free from everything. That's your identity. And because of that, you can stay in a house. Well, Jesus goes on and says, but if you follow me and you stay in my word, you will be free because the truth will set you free. <laughs> so this is what's happening now today. Is the truth is setting us free. The Lord is bringing truth and He's bringing freedom because He's declaring promises over us. <laughs> He's declaring promises over us. He's declaring the truth over us and saying this is who you are this is your identity and we're just like I'm like, like a little kid I'm going to believe it I'm not going to try and figure it out I'm not going to try and work it like I'm just going to believe it Lord but for future what are we, what are we going to do in the future so in the future we've, we've been to Sunday now, we had amazing worship, we probably repented during worship and saying, Lord, forgive me, wada, 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 you know, like, it just makes your worship so much better if you don't have to come and repent during worship all the time, you know, like, you can really just focus on the Lord. Um, but anyway, so we're in a good space now. So we go home and something happens, temptation comes, whatever. What are we going to do? We're going to be like, Lord, I know this is not me. <laughs> These thoughts, this stuff that's coming, it's not me. And I rebuke it. <laughs> because you can only rebuke something that's from outside of you. You can only rebuke something that's an enemy. So if you understand that these things are coming from an enemy, and it's coming from outside of you, then you can rebuke it. But before that, you would have never rebuked it. <laughs> you would have gone into shame immediately. So, what we rather do is we're like, okay, Lord, I, I, I get these temptations, I get these things, water, water, water. I'm going to rebuke it. <laughs> I'm going to chase it away. I'm going to say no to it. And this is exactly what Paul is talking about here in Romans 6. He says, because you have been set free from sin, what does that mean? You're not a slave of sin anymore. What does that mean? If you're not a slave anymore, it, it means that you've got a choice. <laughs> You've got a choice. And what Paul is trying to say here is this. Choose to rebuke sin. Choose to put on the new man. Choose to see yourself and reckon yourself as free from sin. And as you see yourself like that, you'll see that even those temptations that you've been struggling with for so long also start to disappear. Because eventually the enemy starts to figure out, listen, I'm wasting my time. 
I'm trying with all these temptations, but I'm, I'm actually wasting my time. You know? So then eventually, even those temptations st- stops completely, and you start to live completely free. And that is what Paul is trying to say here. It's like, stay in the house. Surrender yourselves completely to, to Daddy. <laughs> Surrender yourself completely to the truth that you are free from sin. Receive it like a child, because you, you cannot do it to yourself. I mean, we've all done it. We all try to live holy lives, and we know that it's impossible. I, know, I think if you're still trying to do that, let me just make it easy for you. You can't. <laughs> you can't. You can't live a holy life. You can only reckon and see that you've died and that you've been raised with Christ as a brand new, brand new person and that your past is done away with. So, Paul, through this whole book, and um, I just want to read you this, this last verse, verse 12. It says it's so beautiful. Verse 12 says, Sin is a dethroned monarch. So you must no, no longer give it an opportunity to rule over your life. So here Paul says, Sin is a dethroned monarch. Again, talking about it wants to rule over you, but it has no right to rule over you. Controlling how you live and compelling you to obey its desires and cravings. So then, refuse to answer its call to surrender your body as a tool of wickedness. Instead, passionately answer God's call to keep yielding your body to Him as one who has now experienced resurrection life. You live new now for His pleasure, ready to be used for His noble purpose. Remember this, sin will not conquer you, for God already has. You are not governed by law, but governed by the reign of the grace of God. So this is this well-known scripture where Paul says, Sin will have no dominion over you because you're not under the law, but you're under grace. What is the law represents? The law represents your own efforts. The law represents your own trying to live a holy life, where grace represents His empowerment. His truth, and where His presence comes and empowers us through His grace to, <laughs> to live a holy life. Um, so, the last part of Romans 6, basically Paul just explains. So, the whole Romans, Paul is saying that Jesus has dealt with sin, that He's destroyed sin, and that sin cannot separate you from God anymore. Okay? Nothing that you can do can separate you from Him. Nothing that you can do can make Him love you less. Or nothing that you do can make Him love you more. So Paul is just like drilling this this thing of grace in Romans. But then in Romans 6, he's like, okay, you've been freed from sin, but why don't we want to sin? And that is this part, this last part of Romans 6, where Paul says, Because obviously, firstly, it's not your identity anymore. But secondly, if you subject yourself to that spirit again, it's going to destroy you. Like it did in the past. So sin 
opens up a door for the enemy to come and kill, steal, and destroy in your life. And that's why we don't want to sin. It's because we don't want to open up a door for destruction. Because Paul ends Romans 6 and he says, The wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. And that's what he's trying to say there is that the reason why we want to live free from sin is yes, we want to stay in the house. You know, we, won't, we don't want to be stuck in this cycle. S- secondly, it's not our identity anymore. That's not who we are. You've got the identity of Christ. You've got the, the seed of the Father inside of you. you. Your new man, Ephesians says, your new man is created in perfect righteousness and holiness. That's your identity. You are righteous. If you don't believe it, then start saying it to yourself. <laughs> okay? That you are righteous. Because that is the promise that God has given us. But then thirdly, Paul says, that if you subject yourself again to sin and to that spirit, it's going to rule over you and it's going to destroy you. And because we, God loves us and because we love ourselves, we don't want that um, in our lives. Okay, so that's Romans 6, the last part, just in, in, a, in a nutshell. But I'm, I'm ending off with just what I really felt, like I said, what the Lord wants to bring home for each and every one of us, and that is that you are free. You are already free. You are free from your old self and your past. You are free from sin. And Paul goes on in Romans 6 here, I read it, and he says, you are free from death. And the effects of death. So Adam subject all of creation to death. Okay, so that every human being slowly, the effects of death and sin, you know, is rife and you can just look around you. But through what Jesus did on the cross, he's freed you from the power of death and death itself. Okay, so and that's a whole sermon on its own. Um, the whole thing of, of death that I don't, don't want to go into, but I just wanted to recap that for you, is you're free of your past, you're free of sin, and you're free of death. <laughs> that is what he's done. <laughs> that is what Jesus has done already 2,000 years ago. And we don't have to work at it, we don't have to try. You can just believe it like a little kid and rejoice and worship and party and have a feast <laughs> because that is who he is he is a promise keeper he is the promise maker and he's the promise keeper and our part is only believe amen amen, amen. amen. bless you guys <laughs>